You're listening to the Rogers Sporting Goods Podcast with Patrick Fisher, Chandler Smith, and Josh from Outdoor Limits. In this podcast, we'll touch on everything from gear to ducks to deer, turkey and fishing. From field to table, let's dive in. Are you going out this week? You guys want to talk about waterfowl, and I'm, I always bring in deer hunting. I know. In the middle of a waterfowl podcast. <laughs> well, that's all I've been. That's all I've been thinking about this month is deer hunting. But yeah, I will uh, um, as we get into it. But uh, I am going to try to get out Sunday with, with the, the boat with the new no the new season. Man, I'm I'm taking the old smoke pole out there. Oh, ready for this year? I'm ready. Hey, I'm ready for some backstrap. Early, early antlerless. Actually, it starts. Tomorrow, um, but when this comes out, hopefully you all have some backstraps in your fridge by then, or yep. you've eaten some. But uh, we had the new antlerless early season start, and so it's the sixth through the eighth. So we get an opportunity to get out there. Yeah. I'm excited about. Yeah. I uh, dislocated my shoulder two weeks ago, so my bow season now <laughs> might start like around Halloween. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. You have to go snag a crossbow. Yeah, that too. But I'm sure you, I'm sure you know where you can get one. Yeah. Okay. I just mean I love, love my compound bow. Honestly, I do too. But I like it when rifle season comes around. A lot of guys, well, so everybody knows who's here. Um, obviously Patrick and Chandler um, down on the far end, but uh, we have a special guest that came in today. Um, his name is Jason Isabel, and he is with the uh, Missouri Department of Conservation. You are the Servid Program Supervisor. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, which for anybody that doesn't know, Servids is, uh, I guess, would it be uh, for like Missouri whitetail, elk. Whitetails um, and elk. Yeah, here, but um, there's a few others. In the cervid uh, scientific category, yeah, yeah. But, members of the deer family, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so you know who you're listening to and watching. His name's Jason. So, um, we're gonna get some great insight on on some stuff. But, anyways, back to uh, and thanks to Jason, I get to go this weekend. Oh yeah, yeah. So, well, at least he's part of it. Yeah, I know he's got his hand in getting me out there. So. I appreciate that. Um, I will tell you, though, Chandler, like when rifle season or the gun season rolls around, the mainstay in Missouri, and it's like, you know, all the hoopla. And I love bow hunting because that's the passion. Mm -hmm. It's still hard for me, though, to, like, not take the gun out there. I do every time. Yeah. I was like, man, why not? We're going to level the playing field now. (laughs) All those deer I've been watching sneaking through the field. Just out of bow range. Yeah. We'll take the old gun out there. So. Good deal. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited to get after it. Um, we'll probably bounce around. We're going to get into a lot of stuff. Probably get into a hot topic that most people uh, have lots of opinions on. But um, So kind of give us a little bit of background, Jason. Like, um, Obviously, you're the servant program supervisor now kind of how you got your start what got you in with mdc or did you work anywhere else how do you get to work with deer yeah you know where where did this all take place oh boy a long long time ago um like many of probably your listeners just enjoyed spending time in the outdoors grew up hunting fishing 
uh, had a father um, who was a game warden, and so he introduced me to the outdo- outdoors at a young age and just really enjoyed it. And, gosh, ever since I was a kid, there's nothing I wanted to do other than be a, a biologist. And so that took me to uh, college, got an undergraduate degree and a master's degree in, in wildlife ecology. And then from there, I uh, bounced around a lot, uh, worked uh, worked in half a dozen different states doing research on everything from coyotes to whitetails to wild turkeys to ocelots down in Central America and everything else in between. And I um, was very fortunate after earning my master's degree to get offered a position with MDC as their wild turkey biologist. And so, of course, I jumped at the chance, and my wife and I moved to Missouri, and we've been here ever since. And so... Are you originally from Missouri or? No, Vermont. Vermont, okay. Yeah, so we've been here for about 13 years and uh, was a wild turkey biologist and rough grouse program leader for eight years and then was offered the opportunity for this job about four and a half years ago and have been here ever since. Nice. Dang. And we had Nick Oakley on, we were talking about. So he's now the uh, Missouri state turkey biologist. So um, we had him on just after the spring season wrapped up and. Um, but you can go back and watch his episode. And we talked about all things turkey, and he's a good guy. He, he was enlightening, enlightening me, spell that, on uh, on the turkey population and where Missouri stands on that. So that's cool. Um, yeah, so you take over the survey program. And is, when, did, uh, when did this program start, or how did that come about? Was there a... I'm guessing there was a time where there wasn't a survey program. Yeah, so it, um, I mean, it goes way back. If you just think about the history of deer in, in Missouri, uh, like much of the country had an abundant uh, whitetail population, but in the late 1800s, early 1900s, they almost disappeared, and that was before our agency um, was created. But hard to believe, you think back to the 1920s. So 100 years ago, we had estimated four to 500 deer in the entire state. Gosh, I mean, it almost disappeared. You know, and that's it ha- really not that long ago. If you think about, no, it's like not. family, it's grandpa. Not, it's not that his, long ago. And, you know, your your grandpa growing up with his dad. That's then. Yeah, and so you know, our agency formed, um, and game management was a budding science. Uh, Folks were, we were restoring the whitetail population, trying to figure out how do we manage the population from a habitat standpoint? How do we provide opportunity for hunters to enjoy it while also, you know, being, making regulations that are biologically sound? And so really the, the deer program started, you know, um, just out of uh, mostly as a function of restoring the population, that population was growing and, and our program for our agency started with trying to first restore the population back but then also as that population grew provide hunting opportunity as we could population was really small at that at that point in time but slowly as we progressed you know we've been able to liberalize seasons provide hunters more opportunity to the point where now we have an abundant whitetail population in most counties of the of the state and we're um, in a phase where we're trying to maintain numbers within levels that are acceptable to our stakeholders so we we see fluctuations in the population and certainly it varies from county to county um, but our primary management goal right now is we have an abundant population so we want to 
provide opportunity for folks to enjoy the resource, get out there and hunt and enjoy whitetails, but also not have so many on the landscape that we have a lot of damaged agricultural crops and high deer vehicle collisions. And so trying to strive for that balance to keep deer numbers where they're, they're high enough for folks to enjoy them, but not so high that they're causing lots of problems. So you'd say we're at a maintaining level now. You think like what population wise, I mean, what do you want to see those numbers at? And and if we are there, so, which it kind of sounds like we are, we, we don't need the population to grow anymore. There are a handful of counties where we'd like the population to be higher in those extreme Northwest Missouri counties like Andrew and Atchison, Holton, Ottaway, those numbers up in extreme Northwest and then down in extreme Southeast Missouri, uh, where there's not a whole lot of deer habitat. They've, you know, there's in those landscapes, there's just less suitable habitat for whitetails compared to a lot of our counties. But by and large, if you look across the state, most of the counties that we have, our deer population is right about where we want it to be, but it's also continuing to increase in a lot of counties. And that's part of the reason why we've expanded hunting seasons this fall, because it doesn't take long for that population to get to levels that are too high. So our goal with the seasons, I think we'll talk about that, but our goal with some of these new portions is to increase antlers harvest to hopefully stabilize numbers where they are at right now, because if they get much higher, um, we're going to tip that balance and have too many deer in some places. Yeah. We talk about the that is crazy to think that, you know, four or 500 deer for the whole state. Um, obviously, and you've heard stories of this, whether it's deer or buffalo or, you know, any animal back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. One, over harvesting. Um, two, I think, um, you know, the the selling of it to, Ooh, yeah, market you know, hunting. the market hunting. Yep, exactly. Yeah, you know taking it you know it's like a hot commodity to get and go into a city or whatever back in that day and sell it yeah i mean it's 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 um you know unbelievable to think that we could have had that few deer in the state you know and you hear stories from folks that have limbed long enough where you saw a track in the mud and like you went into town and told people that you saw a deer track you know and imagine that now we we just take it for granted but there's especially our young hunters don't realize how different things were and it's often easy just to take for granted that we have this abundant resource and that we've always had it so when you tell the story of almost losing whitetails in the state of missouri it surprises a lot of folks yeah did you say when we had the first season in missouri 44 was it 44 yeah 1944 was the first yeah dang but that's not that – see, it's not that long ago in retrospect to, you know, your family. Yeah. Not – people still got grandparents. They were around the first season. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> so crazy. Yeah. It's, yeah. It was that – yeah. I wonder it's if wild. it's just me too, um, you know, so where we live at, basically like where Roger Sporting Goods is and I live in Liberty and – so I'd always, um, a lot of my family lived in South Dakota and Iowa, and even me and my dad talk about this, but you drive 35 north, and it maybe it's just because I was younger. I felt like I saw deer all the time driving on 35 north, you know, whether it was in the morning or evening, um, and you just see him in pockets and in fields all over going all the way to the Iowa border. Mid, mid-90s? I'm, yeah i'm dating you there but. yeah i was born in 84 so yeah the mid 90s i felt late like late 90s late 90s and then 
I don't know why, because obviously we're talking about a population that's doing well based off the MDC's numbers, and I feel like I don't see that anymore. Yeah. Well, there was a <clears throat> there was a period in time right about where you're talking about as we got into late 90s, even early 2000s, where we had deer populations that were above objective in a lot of North Missouri. So I'm not surprised at all by your observations because we had more deer back then than we do now. But yeah, that look, was my next question. Yeah, if we look at the barometer with which we set or strive for appropriate deer populations, we were higher than we wanted to be. And so back then, we had unlimited firearms antlers permits in most of North Missouri and actually most of yeah. the state. And we were trying to really aggressively harvest antler this year to bring numbers down. So the fact that you were seeing lots of deer back in the late 90s, even early 2000s, was not surprising to me at all. Okay. So yeah. well, that makes sense then. Yeah. Do you remember the unlimited antler? List? Yep. And now it's everything, you know, you can buy them on your phone, uh, permits down stuff. Mm-hmm. But I remember uh, guys, gals come in and they're just buying stacks of. Oh, yeah. And just be like, they have like a whole roll of antlerless permits. Oh, the old you know, yellow the old permits. Yellow, yep. The old yellow permits. Yep. Yeah. Used to be unlimited. That was wild. And I don't think then there was a, there wasn't point restriction in the nineties. No. Was there no. yet? No. no, no, we started not that, that in 2004. I feel like 2004, the point, and it's not for, is that, that wasn't statewide. Certain no. counties? Yeah, we started that small in a few counties, and we expanded it in 2008. Um, it's been de- declining in terms of the number of counties where we have the APR, and that's due exclusively to the detection of CWD in certain areas of the state. And whenever we detect CWD, any county that goes into the CWD management zone, if it had an APR, the APR goes away. So as we've detected CWD in different areas of the state, we've rescinded the antler point restriction in those management zone counties so we have less now than we than we once did i just just noticed obviously we a lot of us and a lot of the listeners and stuff that come around like clay county just got added um, to the was that last year cwd management zone or was it this year i feel like it was this year but um at least from and it could have been but um, I think it was this year that got added. And so if it gets added into the CWD management zone, you take away the point restriction. Yeah, is that re- what you're saying? Yes, yeah. and the reason that we do that is because those young bucks are the most likely to disperse from where they're born. And so if you had a young buck that had CWD, oftentimes they'll go 5 to 10 miles and leave the area where they were born, and that's where they'll set up a home range as an adult. So if that animal is positive, that's a perfect animal to spread the disease to a new area. So we don't want to have a regulation in place like the antler point restriction that would protect that deer from harvest. So it just mm-hmm. doesn't make sense from a disease management standpoint. So as soon as a county enters a management zone, if it was one that had an APR, then we were setting the antler point restriction in that county. And I was looking at, we were, we were talking about this before we started. So what's wild to think about, so our, our population right now, what are we at? Like 1.5? Yeah, million about a million and a half million and a half but if you look at the numbers and i'm not talking um like way back because the seasons everything's kind of different so but like our average lately is over two hundred eighty thousand, and i mean right now we're almost around three hundred thousand a year for the past 40 years or five, I don't know, something like that. that. Total, total deer harvest, total deer harvest around 300,000. Just imagine that 
harvesting 300,000 a year and our population is staying. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. So something's going right. I mean, if you just, if you just base it off that alone, you know, we're not, we're not taking too many. Yeah. No, matter of fact, in terms of antlerless deer, we're not taking enough in, in a lot of counties. And that's the, the struggle as a deer biologist is deer are incredibly productive animals. And so it doesn't take long. If your, if your harvest rates on does are not high enough, it doesn't take long for that population to really increase dramatically. And, and typically you're going to be wanting to har- harvest, you know, ballpark 25% of your, you know, adult does a year just to maintain a stable population. And so if you dip much below that, that population very quickly is going to tip the balance in the other direction. So they're, they're really productive. And as, I mean, you can imagine with a population of a million and a half and our hunters are moving about 300,000 a year, um, just what a lot of our citizens um, maybe don't understand or um, one of the things we try to convey is just the importance of hunting as the way that we manage deer in Missouri. And you can imagine without that number of deer removed, how quickly that population would explode. So hunters are are doing a a great service, um, you know, to the ecosystem by keeping deer numbers in check, but also just in terms of, um, you know, some of the issues that deer can cause with damage to the crops and deer vehicle collisions. So hunting's absolutely critical for us to keep deer populations where we need them to be. Yeah. Well, and towns are growing too. So you, it's like you just, not only is the population doing well, towns are growing, there's more traffic than ever, and you're infringing on, you know, those, you know, uh, out in the country. And so there's just more you're taking over and the deer getting closer to town. And, you know, just, I remember going outside of Liberty, remember Walmart and all that, and there was nothing out nothing. there. And, man, I used to see deer all the time, you know, and now that's, you know, this is all concrete, nothing. That, yeah, it's all concrete in apartments. But, um, man, I got so many questions because I'm so pumped up about this. I don't even know which way I want to go. But, I mean, we're going to talk about CWD. And he brought it up. Well, yeah. But our, some of our <laughs> listeners might not understand what it is. So let's, I yeah. want you to talk about it because they might get it confused with EHD, blue tongue, and all that other stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess we're going to lay that down before yeah. we really dive into it. Yeah, for sure. What, what, a, yeah, um, deer diseases in general, and, and I think CWD is the one, you know, that's the hot topic, the one people have opinions on one way or another. Um, but deer diseases in general, like the differences, especially EHG, EHD, yep, um, blue tongue, CWD, what are those differences? Yeah, so some really key differences between the two. So, CWD. Um, is a fatal contagious disease. It's uh, caused by a misfolded protein. So that's a, a big difference with uh, hemorrhagic disease, which is a virus. And so with uh, CWD, it's um, 100% fatal uh, to whitetails. As I mentioned, the causative agent is a misfolded protein that can be transmitted from deer to deer through direct contact or through the environment um, if it's shed by an infected deer. Um, it, it can cause long-term population declines with no sign of recovery from a population. Um, so that's a, another significant difference between the two. Uh, hemorrhagic disease is a viral disease that we see 
periodically here in Missouri. We usually have some reported cases annually. Some years, like 2012, we had a really severe I year. Remember, I remember that year. Lost a lot of deer, but it's a viral disease. It's not always 100% fatal to deer. Causes rapid death. You know, if you have an HD outbreak, typically those animals are dying. You know, sometimes in a matter of days of contracting the virus and people are finding them dead on the landscape, typically near water, near creek, yeah. near creeks or ponds. And so it's very, very visual and uh, folks can understand that there's been an outbreak really quickly. CFD is a very different disease as it, it progresses much more slowly in a population. Um, after a deer gets infected, it'll go a year and a half to two years, but before it even shows any sign of disease. So whereas HD kills them quickly, uh, CWD, it's uh, the deer that get infected a year and a half, two years go by, then they'll develop clinical symptoms, and then they'll die, you know, within weeks to months after that. So it's a, it, it's, it's a very different disease in the way it behaves in the population. You can even have um, areas that have reasonably high infection rates with CWD and not see a whole lot of sick deer. Uh, meanwhile, it can be having significant impacts on, on, on the population. So really a lot of key differences between those, those diseases we do um, sometimes hunters do get those two confused, um, but they're very, very different, especially in terms of the implications to our herd. Like we know HD is going to, we know HD's here. We know we're going to get even some years like 2012 where we get a bad outbreak, but the numbers may get knocked back by a bad HD year, but within a few years they're going to bounce back. It's really nothing that we're concerned about the long-term health of the whitetail population. CWD is the complete opposite. It's, it's a very serious threat, um, arguably the most serious threat that faces uh, our whitetail population. And, and even bigger than that, I'd say one of the greatest conservation challenges of our time outside of even deer, um, deer management. So it's one of these issues where uh, we go from a disease that was discovered in Colorado in the 60s to now 31 states have detected it. There are some portions of some states where half the adult bucks that get harvested test positive and a third mm. of the adult does. Um, we've seen in some states long-term declines in elk, whitetail, and mule deer populations with no signs of recovery. And so it has the potential to certainly um, you know, devastate whitetail populations, so ex- ex- extremely significant threat. Now, yeah. one, one, uh, one thing people bring up, and you talked about it, so was it Fort Collins, Colorado, um, or in that area, but we talk about CWD like the the beginning mm-hmm. um, out in Colorado, um, and you've probably been asked this a million times. But did it jump from sheep to deer? Maybe when they were doing what were they doing scabies scabies, scabies testing with sheep out in Colorado at the time in the sixties. Um, you can find reports where it says it does. Um, and so was it a testing going on and it was almost, I'm not saying it was lab created, but did it, did we kind of have our hand in CWD starting out there? So nobody really knows, um, you know, precisely the origin of the disease. We know it was first detected in a, um, a a captive facility out in Colorado in the sixties. There were, um, you know, deer that shared pasture with sheep in that area where scrapie was present. So it's possible that, um, you know, that CWD was, that that's how it, you know, jumped from, um, you know, jumped the species barrier. And, um, you know, because those deer were sharing the the pasture with, with sheep, that's possible. Um, but we don't really know. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, people talk about it, obviously 
you know, there was the presence of the scabies out there. Um, well, and some of the modeling work suggests that it was probably out there, you know, for quite a while before it was detected anyway. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. and, and so that's, that's quite possible. Sure. And then one of the things I thought was interesting, Chandler, we saw this, um, so, and this might be different, but one of the things that I looked into, so like, um, so New York has had CWD, but I think they're one of the few states that have had it. And then they would say that technically they have eradicated the state after having CWD and then got rid of it fully minus a one off of a deer that they, I don't know, maybe in a captive herd or something like that. Um, so can it be done to eradicate it or is this something that, you know, maybe they didn't have that many to begin with. So it was easy just to knock it out real quick. It, it has been done, but on a pretty limited basis. So yeah, so New York, New York had a few positives. Um, they were able to respond aggressively and, and, um, have not had positives since those initial detections. And so, um, gotcha. we're successful at, um, eliminating it. Um, but the, the case that we see more often where it's been detected is oftentimes it gets detected, but it's been there for a while prior to that first detection. And so we see a lot of states that um, they didn't know they had it in the area, then they detect it, but it's been there for a long time. And the infection rate is high enough that eliminating it is essentially impossible. Um, yeah, deer don't know state lines, though, either. Yeah, they're not <laughs> like, well, <laughs> I can't yeah. go across this line. Can't go across here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so that's why early detection is really important. We've had a couple of different counties here in Missouri, Cole County and Central Missouri and Mercer up in North Missouri, where we had one detection in each of those counties, uh, applied management action on the ground for a few years in each of those areas, and then never found any additional positives. Um, so there are some examples where that does happen. The key to being able to eliminate it from an area is you got to detect it really early. Yeah. Because by the time it's entrenched, your only hope at that point is just to slow the spread. So the longer it's been there, obviously, the less your chances are of, of eliminate completely. And then you shift into the management strategy of just trying to slow it down as much as you can. And is that kind of, I mean, do you think that's where we're at is, you know, we've had at least known cases of CWD since, what, 2012, 2011, you know. Mm -hmm. So are we at a point now, where did, what are we, uh, two decades in? About a decade. A decade in, yeah, sorry. You know, are we at the point now where it's just like we're just trying to slow it down? Or will there ever be a time where it's like we're going to figure this out? So the ultimate goal, what everybody's hoping for in the long term, is some sort of vaccine or cure that gets developed. And there are that's an active area of research. There's, there are folks working on that. It has not uh, – we don't have that yet, but that's what everybody's really hoping for. Our management goal here in Missouri is to slow the spread as much as we can so that hopefully at some point down the road, if there were to be a vaccine or cure, our whitetail population's in a lot better shape than if we did nothing at all. Yeah. So I'd say our, our approach varies a little bit. We have areas where we may have a, an isolated positive um, in an area, and our goal would be to get on that as quick as possible and hopefully eliminate the infection from that area. We've got other areas of the state where the disease, um, even though it exists at relatively low infection rates, th we've had enough positives that we know we're not going to eliminate it from that area. So in those cases, our management goal is to slow it down as much as we can, try to keep the deer herd as healthy as we possibly can for as long as we can. Yeah. And you guys do the, uh, 
when did the um, the testing is it during rifle season opening weekend in certain counties that they yeah, do I mean, yeah. testing now 11th and 12th right for yeah for mandatory yeah. sampling so that's that's part of our surveillance approach and and so we have 52 counties in the management zone and this year there's 39 of those 52 where, where if you shoot a deer on the 11th or 12th of november opening weekend of the november portion you have to take your deer to a, um, a sampling station okay and 39 of 52 correct okay and then where are the sampling stations? Like, there is there a place? So those counties, I'm guessing, are up on the MDC yeah. website. Yeah, people a, can look at. They got the at. list of all the places you go. And then there's a mm-hmm. the where you can go take your deer to mm-hmm. get to, and that's for antler deer only. No, it's for any yeah, deer. Oh, any, any, deer. Deer. any deer. Okay, sorry. Uh, on those two days. On those two days. Right. That's mandatory. Yeah, mandatory. Gotcha. Um, so let's hope people are doing that. Follow that. Follow that rule. See we can figure this out um whether you're on one side or the other cwd's out there so we need to get this under control yep. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah and that's that's a really important way for us to keep track of where we have the disease you know we typically will have 18 to twenty thousand deer come through the stations in two days so it's a yeah. it's a big effort wow. we really appreciate the hunters doing that for us as i mentioned um previously our best chances of slowing the spread or finding it early and that's a one of our really good tools for being able to detect the disease where it exists and what do you do what's that testing process look like so when they come up to the sampling station it takes a total of about 10 minutes it's pretty quick Um, we get them in and out as quick as we can and what we'll do is uh, we'll just make an incision in the neck of the deer obviously we ask first if they're gonna shoulder mount it and if they are then then we'll we'll work with them on that we won't ruin the cape obviously but other than that, we'll make a, um, an incision into the neck, and we remove a couple lymph nodes from the neck. It's quick, and then uh, take some information from the hunter, and they're on their way. And that's it. That's it. And you can- yep, and so the hunter will get uh, – we send them away with a postcard that's got a unique number on that, and then they'll go onto our website, and typically within – you know, most often two to three weeks, they can enter their number online and find out the test result. If it was positive or negative. But yeah. And as far as we know, eating deer that are infected – um, or it didn't get tested. Um, you're all good. You're good. So there's been no known human cases of CWD, um, but out of an abundance of caution, the CDC recommends that if you hunt in an area that has CWD, have your deer tested, and if it, if it does come back positive, the recommendation is not to consume it. Is not just to in, consume yep, it. Just in case, even though there's not been a known right. human case of CWD. I have a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> if it mutates. Jeez, yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's a good recommendation. I probably, yeah, just don't you eat it. Would you do it? Would I eat it? Yeah. Probably not. Yeah. No. There's plenty of chances to go get other, harvest other deer. Um, which this year, uh, sorry, I jumped off, off track off that, but uh, we do have two new seasons. Is it two new seasons this year? So the one we talked about. Yeah, two two new portions um, in mo- in uh, in most counties. Yeah, the early antlerless, um, which when you hear this, um, will have already taken place, sixth through the eighth. Um, that's antlerless only, and then the other one is kind of a little bit different. Um, it's an antlerless only two. No, that's it's either anything sex. either, um, and that's at the tail end of our rifle season. That's correct. Yeah. So this year in 100 counties, we've got, uh, as you mentioned, that what we're calling the early antlers portion of firearms deer season, October 6 through 8. Um, as the name implies, it's uh, antlers only. 
Uh, the other season is uh, we're calling our CWD portion. And, and like you said, it's basically five days right on the back end of the November portion. And that is only open in CWD management zone county. So there's 52 of them. And so what the, the easiest way to think about that season is it gives you basically an extra five days of fire, either sex firearms hunting. Uh, the one difference would be um, our archery season is open during the entire fall, except for during the November portion. So as that CWD portion starts, the Wednesday, at, Wednesday after the November portion, archery season will start. So, so if we can have folks out there that'll be archery hunting at the same time, the CWD portion's open, just like any other farms portion, except for the November portion. So in the management zone counties, we have a lot of our management zone counties, deer numbers continue to increase. We know with higher deer densities and more deer on the landscape, you've got more deer interacting with each other, greater chance of spreading CWD. So we really do not want to have increasing deer populations especially in our management zone counties. And so that season is unique to those CWD management zone counties to give those hunters some additional opportunity to go out there and harvest deer and help us manage the population and slow the spread of the disease. Yep. More opportunity. Do, um, so I wonder, well, I guess it would make sense. So when that, even though archery season technically opens back up, but in those counties, there's that extra five days in those CWD zones, I would imagine uh, the safety orange is still implemented then since there's gun hunting going on in those counties. So Correct. Make sure, you know, this is new for this year. So if you're out there during that time period in a CWD management zone, even though the regular rifle ended, there's that extended portion. Yep. If you're out there bow hunting, make sure you get on your, your orange. That's right, and actually the, the late youth portion is would be that same Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of the CWD portion anyway. So hunters were, right. boat hunters were going to have to wear orange those yeah. three days anyway, yeah. so it really just adds to Wednesday and Thursday sure. to that. Yeah, that's uh, so just jogging my memory. So one of the topics a lot of people talk about when it comes to hunting and regulations and different things going on is the, the use of baiting, corn, mineral, licks, all that stuff. Um, I mean, what are you seeing from, uh, I mean, do you have, do you have input on that? Like when you guys have meetings or you're discussing options and, you know, allowing it, not allowing it, you I know, what I looked at, it wasn't allowed in this, those counties with the, the CWD, like nothing at all. Yeah. I'm, I might've read that wrong, but that's what I saw. Yeah, so we don't allow, you know, we don't allow hunting over bait anywhere in Missouri. And in terms of putting out feed or mineral for deer, you can do that as long as you're not, uh, you know, as long as you're not hunting over bait, you, you know, you can put that out in the non-management zone counties. But if you're in those 52 counties, you, you can't do it at all throughout the year. There are a few exceptions, like if you're feeding, you know, if you're putting out food close to an occupied dwelling. But but for all intents and purposes, other than those few exceptions, you can't put that out of management zone counties just because obviously that congregates deer, puts them into close contact with each other. If you're in the management zone, there's a greater likelihood, you know, of course, of having CWD and having that threat there. And so it's just a way for us to, you know, kind of safeguard the population against increased transmission of the disease. Yeah. Um, one of the things that gets brought up uh, with the baiting is the, um, okay, so I can't, Let's just say, okay, I can't hunt over bait, which obviously we know that. I think it's got to be gone like 10 days prior to you hunting, um, if I'm not mistaken. And as we always say on here, uh, <laughs> check your check your local uh, game, and fish laws. game and fish laws. Um, but one of the things that get brought up is like, okay, I can't put out corn, but I can plant corn. 
and hunt over that standing corn. Like I could harvest all of it and leave a nice row of it for all my deer to congregate to and hunt over that. I mean, has that been discussed? Is that something you've heard about? People like, well, I can hunt over my standing corn. I can leave two rows of corn up, but I can't put corn out. I don't hear about it very much. And, you know, our, you know, our stance on that is food plots are perfectly fine. Obviously crop fields to hunt over are perfectly fine. In my mind, there's a big difference between planting a food plot or having an agricultural field versus dumping, dumping out a back of corn on the landscape. So, you know, if you plant a food plot or if you plant some type of forage for deer, there's, it's not a guarantee. If you get a year like this year where it doesn't seem to want to rain at all, there's, you know, those can easily (laughs) fail and often do. There's a lot of work that goes involved in, in, in putting those in. And so I, I think there's a pretty big difference between the two. And that's why we, that's why we allow, you know, food plots and hunting over crop fields, but not deliberately yeah, right. dumping no, out bait. You, you pour a pile of corn out, they're probably, you know, four or five deer could be in that one little three, three foot radius. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it gets, right. that's how it spreads. I mean, they're even more concentrated. They're yeah. just like on top of each other. And yeah. that's how it's spreading is just the... the yeah, so that can make that can make it worse. And so, I mean, if you look at the whole, you know, like you know, we're talking about a couple of different issues that are related. But from a disease management standpoint, certainly putting out, you know, even feeding deer, which is why we don't allow it in the management zone, you know, congregates those deer. They're interacting with each other, um, and that's one of the ways that CWD can, uh, CWD can spread is just through that direct contact of deer. So. You know, it's just one of those things that we know our hunters, uh, you know, a lot of our hunters like to put out corn in front of trail cameras to do their inventories. And so we recognize that a lot, a lot of folks enjoy doing that. But I think, you know, in, in the best interest of our, our whitetail herd and, and um, it, it's just a practice that we know artificially congregates deer, has the ability to increase spread of the disease. And so it's just not something that's, that we want, it's not just not something we want to allow in those management zone counties, those higher risk counties. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing with the, like salt rocks and yeah, I think it's grain, salt, yeah. uh, everything, mineral, all of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. All feed um, and mineral. I mean, you can plant, like we're talking about, but just nothing where you go buy it at the store or whatever, and you know, throw it out there. Um, one of the, uh, I've always wanted to know this, and I've heard both sides, and maybe you've got some insight to it. So we're, you know, you're talking about hunting the rut and. Uh, you know, the extra cycle of does and all that. So some people will say that there's multiple extra cycles, like a, typically, you know, November, um, you know, we know during the rut they're at their peak of their uh, extra cycle, and then there'll be another one in December, a second cycle. Um, and then some people say it's really not. There's just kind of one cycle some might just come into it later, but it's still part of the one cycle. Um, and it starts really the same time every year. Does it really fluctuate with the weather, the temperature? Yeah, so our, our primary peak rut is right about in mid-November, and that's triggered by daylight, right? And so we know that doesn't obviously change from year to year. Uh, what folks often get confused about is they'll see different rutting activity from one year to the next, and what they don't often account for is just the, the temperature during the day. And so if it's really hot during that uh, peak of the rut, you're going to have more of the breeding activity happening at night. If it's cool out uh, with their winter coats, obviously they're, they're less 
likely to be moving around a lot in the day if it's hot, but if you get great weather, people see more activity. And so sometimes they could confuse seeing variable deer activity from one year to the next and then assume that it's in relation to the timing of the rut, which like is not, not going to start two weeks earlier. No. And if you think about it, the, the, the breeding season is time to occur so that as those fawns hit the ground, they're hitting the ground at a time when there's abundant forage so that they're able to, um, they're able to be healthy. They're able to grow and enter the, the winter in great shape. And so there's a real advantage to having that breeding season be really tightly defined and occur at the same time every year in which it does what folks will see sometimes they'll see a flurry of rutting activity in december and what that is is it's either a combination of if there's does that didn't get bred during that first estrus cycle about a month later they'll they'll have another estrus cycle and so um, but you'll also have some of your um, fawns that'll uh, doe fawns that will breed that first that first fall and they'll often come into estrus in in december so Sometimes you will see some ruddy activity in December, but it pales in comparison to that primary rut when most of the breeding occurs in mid-November. Gotcha. We got that. And that, so, and we were talking about this before. Um, so we talk about that, you know, mid-November, which is when typically our gun season is, and we were talking about that too. You know, that's kind of another topic, especially if you're a passionate bow hunter, the those individuals, you know, are advocates of uh, pushing that archery season through November and then do a gun season, have it start in December. Um, but we we're kind of talking, I guess it would correlate to, you know, with the population seems to be doing good. We're kind of at a maintaining level now. Um, you know, if we push that archery season all the way through November, I would suspect the population would probably go up now because you're taking less deer because now you're just archery hunting and there's no gun hunting during the rut. Yeah, so obviously the timing of those seasons is really important impacting, you know, the, the, the harvest. Mid-November is a great time to be in the woods. The, the weather is generally better than it is, you know, during the late season on average. It's an exciting time to be in the woods. And, you know, when we look at our deer regulations, they have to be biologically sound but you know another important part of our deer regulations is the acceptance acceptive acceptance of those and desires of our deer hunters and so we period we survey our deer hunters every year archery and firearms and one of the questions that we will include on the surveys periodically is we'll ask them about season timing and what their preferences are and as recently as a few years ago we asked folks on our surveys um, would you support moving the november portion later in the fall and majority of our hunters would not support that. They enjoy being out there um, during that peak rut and seeing the rutting activity and the, the excitement that happens that time of year. And so um, we know from our survey data that the majority of hunters that we have are satisfied with it right where it is. When I would suspect that the majority, the percentage of gun over archery hunters is more so. Yeah, we have typically about tw twice as many be, firearms hunters yeah. as we do bow hunters. Gotcha. Yeah, well, it makes sense. If you put that to a vote, then, <laughs> you know, it's going to be scaled to, and I like, you know, I take any opportunity to get out there. So, um, I mean, I get it a little, you know, if you're passionate in archery, I understand it because, you know, it's hard enough to shoot one, uh, let alone get them in close to shoot them with the stick and string. So, you know, uh, doesn't mean you can't bow hunt, though, during rifle season. So. Yeah, just uh, got to use a rifle tag. Just got to use a rifle tag, but 
You know, a lot of guys do go out though. Then they love it. It's a good time to to get one with a bow, actually, because you just man, they're so wild and deer running all over the place. Yeah, and I think one of the advantages of how we um, structure the November portion in terms of timing is, you know, it always ends the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. So as the calendar resets, like for this year, uh, November portion will start on the 11th. Next year, it'll be the 16th. So mm-hmm. it'll shift back and give the bow hunters almost a, you know, a whole nother week of prime rut hunting. Mm-hmm. But then as the calendar moves forward, it'll start getting earlier and earlier okay, before so it resets. Different. So, so it, you know, that add, does add a little bit of variability in that some years like this year, the, the rifle hunters are going to be out there early, but then next year the bow hunters are going to have longer before the November portion starts. So it's a little bit of a balance there. Yeah, there you go. A little give and take. Mm-hmm. Come on, Chandler, what else do you want? Starting I, controversies down there. I, I put on my the blaze orange and buy a rifle tag and go out with my bow every year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I. Did. When's the last time you picked up the the gun? No, a long time. You're probably a little. 2000, pup. 2010 was I started bow hunting and I didn't really turn back. I just kept bow hunting through. So yeah. I, Dang, something I thought that was on. me. I know. It's one of them national alerts. Yeah, from yesterday. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I would say, I know I'm bouncing all over the place. Um, what, what about, so did, uh, did pricing change this year for in-state? Did it go up? A, what is, was it? No, not for, not for this year. Not for this year. Yeah. Does we had start an, next we had year? An, um, yes. Yeah. So, um, we did have an increase to non-resident, um, permit prices back in 2020 and so the archery and firearms uh, permits um, for non-residents did go up for non-resident 2020 mm-hmm. did is in-state going up like a dollar did i see that somewhere so it varies a little bit the proposal is um it, it varies a little bit depending on you okay. know what what permit you're, you're talking sure. about so that would be and i'm bringing this up another topic a lot of people talk about and i because every you know, we get jam-packed, right? Especially that week leading up to rifle season. I get to talk to everybody. And so uh, everybody's got stories or something to talk about. So one thing is the um, the out-of-state um, licensing fee um, in Missouri is pretty generous, um, I feel, compared to some surrounding states. Um, you know, has there been talk about raising it again? Um, versus raising any in-state, you know, whether it was a dollar, five dollars, let's just put that dollar, five dollars on out-of-state. Because um, we get a massive influx of out-of-state hunters because I think we're one of the lowest in the country, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so in terms of the price increase, as I mentioned in 2020, uh, the permits prices raised and the proposal for um, for this next year would be to, to bump those up again. Um, yeah. along with the resident uh, permit increase. So, okay. you know, so, um, you know, our count, our, our permits are over the counter for non-residents. Uh, currently they're 265 for an archery or 265 for a firearm. Um, it is a popular destination for non-residents. Um, but our, if you look at all the permits that get sold in Missouri each year, about 95% are still purchased by residents. So about 5% is out of state. That's yeah. correct. Gotcha. Okay. I feel like some hunters think it's more. What do you feel? But maybe too, um, and maybe my view is more skewed since I'm working in a 
sporting goods store, I see all the non-resident, you know, the few that come. Not that it's a ton, but, you know, I talk to everybody. So I was like, man, Alabama or, you know, wherever it may be, Alaska, Iowa. And then you, you know, we compare it to other states and it's like, well, they got a draw system and it takes you four years to get a tag to hunt, you know, like Iowa. I mean, it takes you a while to get, you know, a point system or, um, I don't know what Kansas is now, but I think it's like $400. Yeah. Or 450 or something. Yeah. To get, to get a draw. And that's not guaranteed either. Although it is, it's not as hard as Iowa. Um, Brandon didn't luck out this year. Oh, he's he's gotten one like, no, Kansas. Kansas. He's got one like every year and this year he didn't get one. Mm -hmm. Um, where Missouri it's guaranteed as long as you got the cashola and it's 265, you know, we're leaving over a hundred dollars out there compared to the surrounding States. So, I mean, it's brought up, you know, yeah, I'll hear about it. I'll hear about it uh, occasionally from hunters and too bad. It it does get, (laughs) it does get brought up. Um, and I just try to, um, you know, tell folks the numbers that I presented to, to you guys that, you yeah. know, it may seem higher than that. And, and of course it, those non-residents aren't distributed uniformly throughout the state. And typically a lot of those folks will be focused on the Northern part of Missouri. Um, but you know, we feel we've got a abundant enough whitetail population that we can, you know, allow over the counter, um, permits for non-residents without having the quality of our deer hunting suffer. And those folks come right. in here, obviously they bring a lot of, um, revenue to our economy, especially the small the small rural towns. And so, um, that's a, you know, a benefit of, of them being here as well. Yeah. I suppose you look at that too. It's, you know, they're eating gas, oh, yeah, buying stuff at the store. Yeah. Um, if it was me snacks in the morning, <laughs> um, yeah, that's something, you know, I hear about, I'm relaying the, I'm relaying my customers questions Yeah, that they, that they bring up. How so. many more you got? I'm just running through. I got, you know, we're doing pretty good. CWD was the big one. I was going to circle back to that. Yeah. I want to make sure we get a good stamp on that, that, you know, anything that needs to be brought up, we talk about, because I think that's the big topic every year. It's my number one topic. So we talked about the 11th and 12th, the mandatory uh, check-ins on those counties that are listed for the CWD areas. If you're in those counties and you're bow hunting, or you're not in the not on the 11th and 12th, can you still do something with the testing? And how would the, how would that work? Yeah, so we offer no cost testing for hunters throughout the entire season. So if if it's at any point in the deer season you want to have your deer tested, we've got options. And so there'd be a, there's a number of ways you can do it. You can stop. There's a list on our website. If you go to mdc.mo.gov forward slash cwd, there's a whole page there devoted to sampling opportunities there's a map on there interactive map but you can zoom in and find places so mdc offices are a place uh, there's pro- uh, cooperating meat processes and taxidermists that'll pull samples if you're in the cw management zone there's freezer head drops where you can just drop off a, a deer head at any at any point in time so there's a there's a number of different options and it's all no cost um, and so we try to have enough of those stations located you know, well enough distributed in the state that folks don't have to travel too far to get them tested. Awesome. So, Pat, this weekend, you shoot an antlerless, you can go get it tested somewhere. Get it tested in your area. Yeah, and that'll be on the website to see the places. Exactly. So, if you go to that web address and you click on voluntary sampling, it'll break everything down. It'll give you the address, the 
uh, the name of the business, the address, or the location of the freezer, location of the office, and phone number. It's it's got everything else on there. Gotcha. So you're a bow hunter in October, and you're sitting in your stand, and you and you, you know you see normal deer, but they could be infected. What happens when you see a deer that's can't hardly walk, stumbling? It's just showing signs of CWD. Do you get on the phone and call you guys right away, or? I would, yes. Um, so it. it you, you can't tell right away if it's got CWD because um, the clinical signs of CWD can sometimes look like other deer diseases. Yeah. But if you see a deer that looks ill, absolutely call the regional office. And usually what they'll do is put you in contact with the local conservation agent. Um, and they'll assess the situation and determine if the deer should be put down and, and tested. It's mm-hmm. a good point. Yep. And that just all circles back to this, you know, as early as we can detect it you know, and tracing it and trying to, you know, get eyes on it and, and do the best we can and slowing it down. Yeah. And that's critical is putting management on the ground early. And so we've seen, there's a number of States where we've been able to watch the progression of the disease where in some portions of some States, they had infection rates in the low single digits, one, 2% of the deer population infected. And you fast forward 20 years ago and it's 40 to 50% of the deer in that area have it. So just in a matter of a couple of decades. And so, our management goal where we have the disease is just to slow the spread as much as we can. We do that through a number of different uh, regulations that we have in place. We have carcass transport regulations in the management zone that minimizes chances of folks moving a carcass and spreading the disease that way. We t- we've already talked about no uh, placement of feed and minerals. That's another management uh, tool that we use. We talked about resetting the antler point restriction and what that does to help slow the spread. And then we have our localized management that we call targeted removals, where we'll go into an area where we've had a a positive, and within about a two-mile radius from that positive, we'll go in after the deer season and work with landowners on a voluntary basis to remove additional deer, to remove, the goal is to remove additional positives from the population to slow the spread, but also to lower the density in that localized area so that there are less deer interacting with each other to slow the spread of the disease tool. And that's been... You know, uh, one of the management practices that's been shown to be effective, um, we've we've effectively applied it here in Missouri, and there's been some other states of what, as well that have used that localized management strategy to keep the infection rates as low as possible for as long as possible. Nice. So what's the, uh, what's kind of our outlook, and it doesn't have to be C- CWD related, but like future plans or things um, we're looking towards, um, anything like that? going on yeah so i think if you look at you know the long-term forecast for white tail population it's it's a it's a good forecast um cwd is a huge challenge i've mentioned that so that's something that we're committed to doing everything we can to slow the spread of that disease to minimize its effects you know one of the things that we're struggling with here in missouri and not just here but across much of the country is declining hunter numbers and so if you look at the number of deer that are removed annually by hunters which is critical to managing the population and keeping at desired levels. As you lose more and more of those hunters, obviously you lose more and more of the ability to manage that population. And so that's a real concern, especially here in the Midwest. We have got a real productive whitetail population. It's great habitat, lots of food for them, lots of cover for them. Uh, Mild winters here in Missouri, so they've got the potential to grow very, very quickly. And so as you look ahead another 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and you start to see these trends in declining hunter numbers, it's it's concerning because it's you know, you just think about, okay, um, we need to maintain the ability to harvest enough deer to meet manage- management objectives, and, and what are we going to do, and how are we going to accomplish that with fewer hunters? 
And so that's one of the big motivations for, you know, our three efforts, trying to get more and more folks engaged in hunting, more and more folks involved in hunting, so that hopefully we can recruit enough folks that slows that rate of hunter decline. But I think, lo- you know, long-term forecast of whitetails is, is very good here in Missouri. The hunter decline is a, is a challenge for us, and then CWD is obviously a very big challenge. Yeah. Um, and then what about you? You got, you got uh, any trips coming up? You getting out this year? Have you been out yet? I have not been out yet. I will be out this weekend. Yeah. Um, I don't have any out-of-state trips planned this year, but I do hunt. I do deer hunt a lot here in Missouri. Yeah. Um, I got uh, fortunate to have a few properties to hunt in central Missouri, and uh, my father's got a farm up in north Missouri that I hunt in. Okay. So and my, I, I love to deer hunt. My family eats a lot of venison, and so I'm yeah. I'm really anxious to get out, especially this weekend when I look at the weather forecast. You know, it's I been know. in the 90s and upper 80s, and I think everybody's just been chomping at the bit to get it's out. And then you look at the forecast, and it's going to be, last I checked, highs in the 60s and lows in the upper 30s, maybe mm. tomorrow or Saturday night. So that ought to yeah. get the deer stirring, and I, I think we'll see a lot of people in the what woods this weekend. perfect storm for perfect. early, first time, early analysts, this cold front moving in. It's going to be great. One thing I'm trying to get into is the saddle hunting. Uh, I think Chandler is too. So yep. we're kind of excited about trying that venture out and seeing where that takes us. I've not done that. It's kind of a new, it's not, I mean, saddles have been around a long time, but um, just some to add to that arsenal, you know, to see if, you know, it is, I don't know. I just feel like I'm going to get some mobility out of it. I can just go anywhere. So I'm pretty excited about that, especially for individuals wanting to get out there on the, public land which you know there's lots of good spots around missouri for public and you don't have to worry about branches and all that with the climber this is just another way to do it so yeah, i'm pretty excited but i'll be out there sunday um with the wife get out there in the morning sonia will be out there i'm pretty excited you first, guys first crack at it you guys I don't know. two different stands same stand. you know what's crazy Who's is shooting? both what is wild is when we first started hunting together we would sit together and then Sonia is just, she's all about it. So most of the time we do hunt separate now. Um, but I do miss, like I love, and not that, and I have not shot like more deer than anybody ever, but I've shot enough that I'm, I'm okay with not getting one for a year or two or whatever it may be. Um, but the joy of sitting with someone, you know, and watching them or sitting with her and have her harvest one. So I don't know because it is antlerless and not to mention a lot of times they're bunched up right now anyway. So um, maybe we just do a sit together and we both can get one and one sit, you know, that'd mm-hmm. be kind of cool. It'd be doubling up like turkeys or something. So I don't know. We'll have to decide. We're only going in the morning, so... We might split up and cover ground, but I'll leave it up to her. Maybe she don't even want me sitting next to her. Yeah. I'll have to ask her. She'll be like, you go sit on your own ridge. So it'd be exciting. It's just that first time and the hearing the woods come alive. And I'm telling you, it's my, that's my church. Yeah. So I'm excited. I'm excited. But yeah, I'm ready to get after it. Um, CWD, I definitely. You know, it's just something I think we're uh, just something, you know, if people got questions, I'm sure they can reach out to the MDC about it and, 
you know, there's some stuff I believe on the website and, you know, fact sheets and, you know, just talking about it. And if you're interested more, have certain questions or, you know, I'm sure you can email and they'd be glad to answer any questions you guys might have on it. So, um, you know, knowledge is key. So the more we can learn about it and, uh, you know, getting the deer tested and all that. And I know it's a hot topic and, um, you know, it's not going to be gone this year. So, um, we just got to do our best to take part and, and help and slow it down at least, you know, so. Yeah. And that's, you know, what I tell folks is read the regulations book. Um, look on our website. There's lots of information there and, you know, we're all in this together. I, I think everybody's goal is to have healthy whitetail populations, you know, and, and so we, we recognize that, uh, hunters are critical partners in this fight with us as long as in addition to businesses like the processors and taxidermists that collect samples for us and so everybody wants the same thing we all want uh, healthy whitetail populations and um, you know we're doing the very best we can to look for the disease find it early and to management to put management on the ground to keep our population as healthy as we possibly can yep no doubt well, i'd say the outlook right now looks good for for the deer population and so that's exciting to hear and Hopefully we can get some new hunters out there this year. Um, and if you're if you're thinking about getting into it, maybe, you know, there's always the apprenticeship program. You can go with a hunter that's, you know, take part in that. And if you're a hunter already, take someone out that maybe is on the fence about it and show them a good time and just getting out there. Um, you know, you might not harvest something, but you can always make it a good time. So um, it's always a good time being out there. You see some wild things and so – I love it. Um, Chandler, I'm ready. We'll get after it. So, uh, and Jason, I appreciate you coming on and, um, hopefully we'll keep in touch and see how the season goes. So happy to be here. Yeah. Anytime. No doubt. I'll, uh, I'll keep in touch with you. So that'd be cool to see you guys will, wouldn't like, when will like maybe every Missouri resident see like, Hey, this antlerless portion was like success or like, or would you guys just have numbers out for how many harvested or where would they see that stuff? We'll have a news release. It'll go out early next week. Okay. So I'll be monitoring the harvest uh, all through the weekend and probably on Tuesday we'll have a statewide news release that'll go out. There's also, well, folks don't know about it, but there's a pretty cool deer harvest map on our website. So if you just Google Missouri deer harvest map, um, you can actually, it'll you can see um, county level harvest broken out by different segments of the population antlered bucks does and button bucks you can hover over a county and see what the what the harvest numbers are and we update that several hours during every day during deer season so it's a pretty really? cool site Dang, to kind of like, keep track of the harvest like have that up on another screen just you know keeping tabs sitting in my stand well so got another one somewhere yeah, yeah, so you can look cool. at that map, and then you can you could search by specific portion, too. So if you're curious, like, I wonder how many deer were harvested during the early, new early antlers portion, you could just click on that, and it would give you that, that value, oh, too. Oh, cool. Bike. Uh, awesome. That's great. That's great. Um, well, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate everybody listening. Hopefully you had a safe early antlerless weekend and uh, got to harvest some does out there and uh, get some venison in your fridge or freezer. So, um Again, appreciate everybody coming on. Uh, make sure you hit that like and subscribe button on our YouTube channel. And make sure you check out all of our other social media accounts, Facebook, Instagram, uh, TikTok, Twitter, so you can see all of our videos. We do product reviews and 
Um, I think we're going to start doing some giveaways this fall. So pretty excited. Uh, stay with us. And if you ever have questions or concerns about anything, make sure you hit us up. And uh, with that, take care, and we will see you next time. Peace.